0: Hi and welcome to the Msingi Talks podcast, a podcast hosted by Msingi Trust. This podcast ventures deeper into issues of faith, advocacy, activism, and makes connections between these worlds. Psalms 89.14 states that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne, and here we unpack how the church, as the body of Christ and institution, can faithfully embody justice and righteousness in both word and deed. Karibuni and let's do justice.
1: remember, I told myself, I have heard many times that the word of God is spirit, and if you read it, it will impact you. So I couldn't stand going to church at all. I hated it, especially when they'd start everything. Like, I used to wonder, what is this hope you're talking about? I don't have it. I don't identify or just a lot of Christianese. So I didn't identify. So I wanted to read the Bible for myself. So I remember in 20, I came back in 2016, August. On the, in January 2017, I decided I was going to read the Bible and read it every single day and find see whether this will be my medicine because I have had people say that it is. And I started, I started on January 1st. I read it, Every day, every morning for six months, Uh every single morning. And by June 30th, I had finished it. Yeah. But along the way, something began to happen. I actually began to find peace. Mm -hmm. I started to find that I connected with it. But even what was fascinating me was, I was like, this is not what I thought it was from all my church experiences what have i been listening to because this is different i felt like i felt (laughs) like i was connecting more with god by reading than i had been by just going to church and i actually became a proponent of just read the bible by yourself and see what god says to you so so that really helped me a whole lot but i also found a friend one of my friends um started asking, asking, um, persisted. She persisted and kept asking, um, asking me to, talk, to be more open about the things I go through. By now, I was sure those were crazy things to talk about, but I tried. Um, and so I started to become more open. And even like the branch community, our, our church group, um I felt so much more grace than I would have expected so even times when I would lash out or when I would I just felt like people were not going away (laughs) like I was pushing them away but they were just staying so so that helped that feeling and you know when people ask me what you can do for somebody I think one of the things, there's no easy answer, but one of the things I say is never give up on them. Whether we're talking about an alcoholic or any other uh, illness. And, I'm, and in this case, you are talking about mental illness because that's, you know, we can't see it so many times. So yeah, so just never give up on them. I felt like there are many people who didn't give up on me and who supported me regardless, even when I wasn't very kind to them and when I was lashing out at God and lashing out at them. Yeah. And I think this is for me the advantage and the benefit of being in a close-knit sort of community. It's yeah. messy, it's very messy, but I think when we are committed to each other's growth and And deterioration (laughs) that's like (laughs) that,
0: yes, all of
1: it the good, the bad, the ugly. All of it, yeah, yeah, that's going on, but still, yeah, yeah. But also, at that very moment, I I remember if I remember correctly.
0: So, Mm
1: -hmm. are you the go to person for all cancer stories?
0: you think no
1: in terms of like Uh, i remember like when when people know that there's someone who's doing.
0: oh yeah yes the,
1: the info information channel
0: yes yes yeah
1: but so that's 2017 2017 yes beginning and then yeah guys june makes the most amazing amazing of furniture let me just I don't think you're making furniture at the moment. No. But what I find very and we've had this conversation and we uh-huh. quite over it because we're like, no, Dad, oh, that's not that's not
0: <laughs> yeah. But how multi-talented you are June and how that even when you, when you put yourself into into a task, mm. to like the carpentry that you did, mm. the pieces that came out were so beautiful.
1: But also, mm. what that did for you mm. personally, because now you had something else mm. away from the cancer story. Yeah. What was the need for that for you? Yeah. I think, you know what, you know, some of my best days at the workshop were waking up in the morning, um, carrying my headphones, going to the workshop, deciding what I was going to do and working. Oh, my God. There's, it's difficult to explain the feeling of coming up with an idea from sketching it to drawing, to taking rough pieces of wood and then creating something. I don't know how to put it, but I feel like that made me feel like God. And not in a way to be blasphemous or anything, but you know the way you're told God is a creator and we are to create like him, that's how I felt. Oh, my God! It was such a an amazing feeling of of in fact, I said that you remember now I was very angry with God, I was struggling, but I was reading the Bible, trying to reconnect. I felt like that now gave me an opportunity to see God in another way, Not that these other issues were resolved yeah. because I wasn't i mean I was still questioning and wondering what's up God, but just close that, put a pen, put a pin on that issue, and then focus on this other aspect of God. Because I was, I was in such, in fact, I remember I would, I would work from around eight or nine in the morning Sometimes, after around 8 p.m., they would have to wait for me to finish for them to close their workshop. I remember we used to have like fights every evening. Please give me half an hour. Please give me one more hour. Please. Until at some point they decided, let's just give you the key. <laughs> let's give you the key, but don't spend the night here. Just. <laughs> so, because I really, really, really enjoyed it. And while I was there, because also it's a lot of manual work, so you're engaged mentally, but it's also exhausting. So you have less time to think about other things. In fact, I felt very zen while in there. Um, I would get very frustrated like during public holidays where the workshop was closed and I couldn't go because I loved it. And then now the side effects were I'd get very tired by the time I got home. I only had enough energy to eat, shower, shower, eat, and sleep. <laughs> and then, um, and then you wake up to the same the following day. And then when I sleep, because also one of my issues has been that I don't sleep very well. I have trouble sleeping. So now when you have had that much work, you sleep. Even if you sleep, you don't sleep for too long. The sleep, the time you sleep, you sleep very intensely. Um, So I needed that more than... In fact, for me, when I started it, I wasn't doing it to make pieces for anybody. The time, it got a bit frustrating when it started being um, pieces for people. I was doing it for myself. I wanted it to be therapy for myself. I wanted the designs to be my own creation. Um, I wanted uh, that creative freedom, you know, so... Yes, it was amazing. So you you're doing that, and then mm-hmm. uh, at the same time, your mom, so your your granny, your shosho is yeah is recuperating. Yes, and then your mom, your mom also at home is also going through treatment. Yes, so. So now we are in 2017. What happened in 2017? In 2017, we, so how they treat this condition, CLL, is they give you drugs. They call it like, they, you, like, is it wait and see or watch and wait, where they can't consistently give you drugs. They give you drugs for a time. Then they give you, they give you time to see how your body will be without the drugs. And then, And then if you have Mm -hmm. any, uh, if they check your blood work, because the thing about the disease is that your white blood cells behave abnormally. So sometimes they over, they're overproduced and there are so many, but they are underperforming. They're not performing like normal white blood cells. So because of that, your lymph nodes are swollen um, and then now they take up room for other healthy cells. So you'll be anemic. You'll be. That's like such a simplified way of explaining it. <laughs> if doctors listen, I hope they agree with me. But yeah, so I've been on this journey for a while, um, and that's one of the ways the doctors have explained it. So what they do is to try and make control the the level of white blood cells, um, and then sometimes you'll have issues like the 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 her immunity will be low. Um, she'll have flu that does not end she'll have um, like if she has a mosquito bite yeah. because the white blood cells are so many a mosquito bite like if she had a, like several times she has had a mosquito bite on her face her whole face swells yeah, um, yeah so she'll it will take so long to heal and stuff like that um, So, so they were managing it and then at some point they said that she was okay she can do without drugs And then she was without drugs. I think that was 20, yeah, 2017, beginning up to around mid-2017, when we went to the doctor and they said, okay, now you need to get back on drugs. So she was put back on drugs. And then at the end of 2017, um we went back to the doctor, and the doctors seemed there's a look they give you when they're trying to say, Hey, <laughs> we don't know what's going on here. <laughs> we don't know. This is not good. Yeah, this is not good. So, I think it was January or December. She did the test in December, then we went for the results in January. So, and then we were, so, so what she said was she doesn't want drugs anymore. Yeah. And I told her, if that's what you want, one thing I've learned, especially with this cancer journey, because we all don't know exactly what's going on don't force a patient I don't think you should force patients to do what they don't want unless you can give them a hundred percent guarantee that it will work so usually I think that the most important thing is to support them you know you give them all the facts you let them make the decision because either way it's a rough journey so let them make the call you know so she said she didn't want drugs I said okay fine so we went home um but by around around June July of her not taking drugs things were bad she was not breathing well she was so I remember one time I told her one of those days I told her now I think we need to go to hospital we went to hospital when the doctor saw her and tested listened to her chest Mm -hmm. she was I could see fear in her eyes. She said, take her to hospital now. She needs to, cause we went to a clinic where, you know where she used to go for her reviews. She said, take her to hospital, take her to hospital now, now. And sure enough, by the time she was admitted in hospital she was in a coma. Um, so then at that point we decided all the drugs they have been trying here are not working let's go to india and by that time we had had success with my grandmother so we said let's go to india which then meant that but at that point i was so exhausted i was so exhausted i remember thinking i have no nothing in me to to do this and again you guys you know, the community, you, my friends around me, uh, you came together. I felt like everything was done for me. I don't even remember, because I remember one person saying, you stay at my house. I remember being ferried to and from the hospital. I remember the fundraisers being organized. I really didn't play a part in any of those things. And people coming, Yanni for tears, people coming through. And the only time I felt alone since that, like from that time, was when we were getting on the plane with mom. Because then now I realized that this now I had to I had to be present and do what I needed to do. But even then, I really felt carried. That's the one word I use to describe that season of my life. I felt carried. I felt supported. I realized the power of of community. And to be honest, I'm f- a little guilty. A little. I felt so undeserving. Like I haven't been the nicest person even. <laughs> with all my bouts of rage. But I felt like, it felt like the kind of, the grace of God that we describe, grace that you don't deserve. So people are running around, people are losing sleep over your problem and not because they will benefit in any other way other than that your mom will be well and you will be well. So I felt very carried and very loved and supported. And indebted, even How how is it possible for someone to return a favor like this one? It's not, it's not. no, yeah. And then, yeah. as you know, as you, as you, you know, there is like Paul's second missionary, time. Uh-huh. You know, like you're going oh, to- yeah, yeah,
0: oh my god, I'm like uh-huh. oh lord, yeah,
1: like
0: what's your feeling in terms of? Like mm-hmm. remember that day when you were at the airport, like mm-hmm.
1: what was going on in your mind? You you thought yeah. that like I don't think you come back to Kenya thinking, okay, I am looking forward again. No, yeah. I had sworn and vowed <laughs> that I would never. In fact, I kept saying, if I ever go back to India, I'll go straight to the t- to see the Taj Mahal because I didn't get to see it the first time. And Then fly right back because I didn't Good. care about the Indian weather, I didn't care about they have the worst weather. <laughs> if they listen, I love the people, I just hate the weather. I've always told them that, yeah. So, uh, so I think I was, you know, first of all, I really didn't think I was going to come back with her alive. I with, didn't, with your
0: no, brother. with mom, with mom, okay. Yeah,
1: we had had those conversations even with her. My, it just seemed like the doctors are not giving us a lot of hope. It just felt, um, she was looking bad, she wasn't looking good. Um, so I, we as a family, we had talked about it. So, so there was that fear of, I kept telling God, my only prayer was, if you're going to take her, please do it soon, yeah, so that she doesn't go through the pain I've seen other people going through um she was very weak in fact all through there she had to we had to had to get um wheelchairs for her or or she'd be seated no actually no we didn't get wheelchairs because we needed her to get certified to fly um without like yeah so i remember before, before the flight Yes. Okay. And then even during the flight, we didn't want her to draw too much attention because she was looking weak. So I'd make sure she was seated and then she'd walk, walk a bit and sit, but not um cause you know, and then I was concerned, like what if she has like uh an episode and goes into a coma or something when we are on air or something like that. So I was quite concerned about that. Thankfully she walked. Um, she walked where she needed to walk with, with many stops to rest. Um, and then our flight was our trip was not very complicated. We didn't stop for too long. So it was fine. We got there. But you know what was my first episode, my first real episode in India at that time was when we got there and she had a, she had um, a reaction to something. I don't remember what it was she had a reaction to something that the doctors were saying they didn't know so she had like it looked like little like what do, what are they like little boils or something yeah. some oh, so they oh. didn't know so they were thinking it's a it's a variation it's a type of uh, what is it called something that looked like chickenpox but yes. she had already gotten chickenpox so so she was admitted, and we were isolated. Yes. And, and let and me tell you, you, never gotten chickenpox. I had. Had you gotten chicken pox as a child: Yeah, I got chicken pox as a child. So they didn't know, and now we know that because that, ha- that, that has happened several times. Um, so now we know that it's part of one of the side effects of the, I mean, one of the symptoms of the disease. I don't know how they explain it. I forget, but it's one of the ways the disease manifests. Mm -hmm. So, but then they didn't know. So for seven days we were isolated. This was the first time that I was in silence since all this began. Cause you know, before then I was around, my friends were, you know, around, making sure we had the making sure, like I wasn't even making any decisions. And also laughing, like cracking jokes, all those dark jokes and having fun. So this is the first time I was alone with my thoughts and with her and she was unwell. So, so she was quiet, you know. Oh my God, I was, the darkness came back with its, (laughs) its children (laughs) and its relatives. Ah, that was really bad. And I think now I can understand how if you're going through something like that, what isolation can do to you yeah because it can be torture so i I was alone with my thoughts now all my fears were. i didn't have carpentry to keep me busy i didn't have i just had my phone i didn't want to talk to people i didn't want to hear encouraging things i didn't (laughs) i don't know what i i couldn't read my bible because now so i i i had now stopped reading the bible because i felt like the anger would come back i don't know so it was very traumatic so um but what happened was so when she was when she was treated and discharged uh treated for that um those skin issues and discharged somehow by god's grace we connected with someone who told us about another christian hospital in a different state we were in delhi at the time they told us about a christian missionary hospital in Punjab that um that they really recommend. This is a professor. So a professor, a friend of ours who knew a professor there, that professor who's a Christian um, or amazing guy. So he told us about this Christian hospital and told us, in fact, just pack up and leave. And in a lot of, I mean, I was afraid of where we were going. I was told this place is backward. I was told this hospital, people were telling me, you know, don't go there, Punjab is a strange place they don't even have electricity just discouraging us now I learned later that they were just discouraging us because they wanted us to spend our money there so I went to this other hospital we went you know it it was a six hour train ride and uh yeah it was a one hour drive to the station and then a six and a half hour train ride and then now a short distance to the hospital and for me, I feel like that is how God saved me this time around. Because when I say a Christian community, that is exactly what those people are. They carried us, they from everybody, the doctors, the the students. It's a it's a it's a university hospital. The students, they oh my goodness, they were Um, they were taking turns, inviting us to their houses for dinner, uh, taking turns, taking me out for movies, taking mom. Mom was, mom plugged into their Doctors Women Fellowship. And like, it became uh, a community. In fact, it became so good as like, I could live here. It's amazing. Um, And I see how being a Christian it really redefined how I saw Christian communities because um, I guess I had never been in one where you live among Christians specifically, you know. So yeah, so they they really supported us, really prayed for us. Um, when it was mom's birthday, they made it into a grand event and just celebrated her and prayed with her. So that really helped my second journey. It was it was difficult still but it really helped my my experience the second time around
0: so um how was how was being in punjab 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 how was
1: punjab punjab yes was, <laughs> what
0: was your mental health state like being there
1: i struggled quite a bit because um like I said, it was a Christian environment, so I went there already feeling a little bit uptight because I, I mean, I knew, I had been told that their care is very good, but I was also concerned about how much I would need to participate in Christian activities when I was feeling a little bit removed from, well, a lot removed from from not even removed, just frustrated with God. And I, ke- I kept feeling like I'll have to wear a facade um, like I normally do when I'm around Christian people, <laughs> many Christian people. So I was concerned about that. Um, but once I got there, you know, you know, even with all the struggles we have, you know, there are things that, um, there are characteristics that always win. Like if people love you, it doesn't matter if they love you and they show care and they show concern. It really doesn't. It stops mattering which which religion they belong to or what their faith is. Because at that point, what you need is for mom to get well. So when we went there, I honestly don't think I've been in a Christian community like that one Mm -hmm. that is so given to service. I don't think I was so overwhelmed by, by their love, by their care, by their commitment to the people of other religions around them. For the first time in years, I completely plugged into church. I was going for morning devotions, <laughs> even where they had to translate for me. I was going for, for prayer walks. Because I really connected with this community. They are so uh, in touch with the people suffering in the in the area. It's not a rich neighborhood. And even the church, it doesn't look all posh. Mm. Oh, my goodness. But I was so moved by the kind of, the way they do ministry, you know. So, like, when I went to visit um, an organization called, uh, it's called Youth with a Mission, in um the headquarters are of I think of Punjab are in that place called Ludhiana. Oh my goodness! I wondered, is this how people do ministry around the world? Not that I've been very much involved in ministry, but from what I see when i'm in back in our country, it just felt so different that people really sell everything they have and commit to this cause so when you find them living together it's not that they live together and then now they each have their posh home somewhere and their cars they drive no all their lives are committed to this one cause so for me i was very fascinated to see people who it doesn't feel like christianity is the cherry on the cake cherry it feels like it's everything Oh my goodness, I was so, I I really was happy to engage and the work they do in the communities, the way they help poor people, even the way they help anonymously, even in the church, the policy is you will never know who gave what. Mm. Um, I found, and then the people, the pastor of the church was the deputy dean of the school of De- dentistry, the mm. So even the offering they give does not go into, like it goes into helping. Oh, I don't know what about that community just totally turned me on. (laughs) I loved that, um, that it felt so genuine okay granted I hadn't been part of a church in years so maybe I had just missed that kind of fellowship maybe it's like that even here but I didn't remember it being like that and so um yeah so I got to open up I made very close friends in it. I didn't think that I would end up with lifelong friends lifelong partners you know uh in from from Luthiana um So yeah, so because of that, it made life a whole lot easier.
0: Nsinghi is a Swahili word meaning foundation. Our name and mandate comes from Psalms 8914. We host engaging conversations on faith, social justice, and advocacy across all our social media platforms. We also offer training and consultancy services to help you navigate the world of social justice and faith. To engage with us, Visit our website ww.umsingitrust.org. Follow us on all our social media handles at Umsingitrust or email us on info at I also
1: started investigating um, How to whether it's possible to improve my mental health by changing the way I eat, changing my lifestyle. I became it gave me an opportunity to engage more with that idea of maybe there is a way, there's still a way. So, along the way, I decided to. I mean, I came by people talking about um, a vegetarian diet, maybe the way to go, or it may help. I thought this doesn't hurt, this vegetarianism is not chemotherapy, I can certainly give it a shot, mm-hmm. so I tried, I said I'd give it, um. and then I also saw that even for cancer patients they're suggesting that it may be helpful, so yeah, So I didn't, it wasn't that complicated because I wasn't going to do it for my, the rest of my life, I just thought let me try, and then um three years down the line I'm still I'm still on the path um, but also I started working out. I really felt like hope started coming back to my life and then like I said, um, I committed one of my friends got me to commit to talking about what I was dealing with to bringing those thoughts to light. Mm-hmm. And so I started sending all these voice notes, um, explaining how it feels like when you want to die, explaining, try, cause the point was to try and see what is the trigger? Like, is it possible for us to get down to the bottom of it? Um, and it was very difficult to open up, but I, I tried. Um, and first of all, that made our friendship Stronger because I felt like um, she had all the darkness and did not walk away, which was very surprising. I was sure, even now I still have those thoughts of if people really knew how dark it can get. Yeah. I don't even think anybody would even marry me if they knew how bad it gets, um, which is part of the reason. One of the main reasons why I am single mm-hmm. is because I, I just keep thinking, nobody would know and stay. Mm-hmm. And so while I was in India the first time, one of the things that happened was I started dating a long time friend. But when I came back and I was having my meltdown, I just told him I can't do it. Um, because I feel like when there's someone else around, if even if I was having my meltdown in the presence of somebody else, I feel like I would have to be conscious and and manage manage them so I can't completely be myself yeah Yeah, so so I broke it off that was I keep thinking that was that is um one of the best men I have ever known in my life but I still thought that they couldn't handle it so I walked away so um yeah so it was the second time around was still difficult i still had my battles but it was made so much easier by the support the support i got by the community there
0: so in yeah in terms of in terms of now transitioning so coming back mm-hmm. I don't know how, if you i don't want you to feel like we rushed the the panic no no
1: hurts. no no yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> if i feel rushed i'll repeat
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah so mm. getting ready like now mm. the mental shift to coming back home mm-hmm. um the the thoughts you'd had that maybe you might come back home and you'll come back with mom. yeah Alive.
1: What was yeah. that like for you? So, um, I I was very pleasantly surprised when, after trying different combinations of drugs, they finally found something that was working. It's like I had given up completely, and it it is a it at the time. I mean, it still is a relatively new drug in the market but they finally found something that worked for her um, and they found the, the balance that worked. So that was really good because I... it sort of helped me to stop worrying. And even though I was preparing for the worst, of course I didn't want it to happen. So when that happened, I was very happy, but I kept telling myself that one of the things I would do when I got back was I would hit the ground running. I didn't want to, I was feeling like, now the thoughts of, oh my God, I've wasted so much. Well, not wasted, but I've spent so much time outside of the job market. I have, um, I don't know where to begin. Now that became my fear. I don't know where to begin. Where will I start? Um, I'm handling these mental health issues and it's looking like I'm beginning to feel better. Um, The the episodes are beginning to feel a bit more manageable. But then I don't know where to start. I need to earn an income. Uh, I've gotten older by that time. I mean, I was away the whole duration. It took from 2015 May. All the way till I got back um, in, in when? In, in, I think it was oh, July 2019. And that whole time I was taking care of them and, and trying to take care of myself. So I was very worried about how I'd get my life back on track. That now became my main fear and my main um, concern. So when I got back, which is actually a very important segment. This one. When I got back, within the first week, I was already starting to set up meetings with, with, uh, with people, making phone calls, trying to see how I can plug back in, into my life, into you know, into some kind of stability. And I remember. So one of my friends called me and sat me down and told me, I need to slow down. I need to slow down because I'm not appreciating the impact of what I've been through. And I really thought they were like mistaken. So I kept saying, no, I'm good. I really just want to get my life back on track. I but I wasn't processing and I'm prone to burying things. And I think a lot of us are, when you don't want to process difficult things, you, you know, you divert your attention to something else. So I started back in the furniture business. Um, I was looking to see how I can, I can work on, on getting my, um, my counseling uh, certification. I was, I really hit the ground running. Um, And I wanted to go back to school. I was just thinking all these things that I need to do. Um, So I started working, but as I was doing the work, I, I, because the work is a bit stressful. The work that I got, the project that I got, the furniture project was a bit stressful. We had deadlines that were a bit tight. uh, And it wasn't a very small project. It was furniture for a school So it was a bigger project than I had done in the past. And the stress just triggered me and I shut down. It's so hard to explain. (laughs) I shut down. I couldn't do it. And then you see, I'm trying to push myself because I want to prove myself, to prove that I can do it, to prove that I am not weak, which is something else that you always have to deal with, with people saying, you know, some people are, are weak, others are strong, maybe you're just, and I've been told that many times, you know, maybe you're just a bit weak. So take, <laughs> somehow that is, they managed to say that sounding empathetic. So yeah, so I absolutely. don't even yeah you know accept that that is where you're weak um i actually don't think like when i'm very honest with myself i don't think i'm weak and even if i was this is not about that you see this is not about that anyway so so i i so needless to say the job didn't go very well and that made made it so much worse i I now went right back to um to those emotions like my my go to um like my my plan, my original plan was always to end it, so I remember I thought about it and it's interesting that every time I've gone really close to to making it a reality mm-hmm. um. I dare say God interrupts my process because he does things that you can't. So this friend who a long time before had come to me and said, God told me to say just one word, hope. We later on became friends, but he lives far away. So we don't talk often, we just talk once in a while. So on this day that I had, I had even moved out. I came back, I moved out, got my own place, you know, doing my business. This was in about a month of coming back. So on the day that I woke up and said um, that today I'm doing it because I can't, the, the hopelessness is back, the darkness is back, and I'm not, I don't know. And you see, every time it comes back, it comes back stronger and I'm older. So when I think I'm going to, to take action, I am more knowledgeable now about how I would do it. It's not like when I was in high school. So now I wouldn't even, I mean, I'm in my own house. So you just do what you need to do. They will find you when they find you. So I remember waking up and thinking that today is the day. It was a Saturday morning. And I was grieving on behalf of the people who I know would grieve. And I really cried that morning. And then then he called me. He called me out of the blue. And when he called me, it triggered the memory of that first experience because he wasn't even calling for anything. He just called to, see, to ask me whether I'm okay. So I don't know why he called. So I said, hi, June, are you okay? What's going on? Are you good? So it triggered that memory and that memory always interrupts my process right. because I say, if God said there's hope, maybe I need to live a little bit longer to see what he meant. Um, yeah and so I, I immediately after that phone call I called a friend who is a psychologist I called them I told them I need help I need to I need to see somebody then they understood the urgency in my voice so they made phone calls they uh, they organized for me to start see going for therapy immediately and um, and I found a therapist that I can only say was sent by God because um, we connected she had me she listened to me she believed me she didn't um, she didn't trivialize my experiences and we've worked together up to now I still see her but then I'll, so because of that we worked on you know you, you don't you need to not be alone so I moved back home I now i started the process of of you know healing i think um, and for the first time i was doing it with somebody mm-hmm. so there was a like a convergence of many factors so there was that i also started getting instead of using um strictly like Bible verses to help myself and encourage myself. I started looking for material, um, more scientific material, you know, just to hear what, when people go through this, that don't know God, what are, what are the proven methods they use to help themselves? And that has been very liberating because I felt like the only thing I was I got from the church was believe, I didn't know how to do that. Hope, I didn't know how to do that. They all sounded like concepts so high up in the air. I didn't know how to process that. But when I hear people who are able to break down the mechanics for me and tell me I was depressed, I was suicidal, I even attempted suicide, but this is how I, these are some of the ways that I, I got out of that situation. So I started taking baby steps and I feel I am still in that process. And I really feel like for the first time in, that's why that day I was telling for the first time in 15 years, Mm -hmm. I'm feeling like I'm getting freedom. So when they talk about, um, when they talk about simple things like meditation, for example, you know, um, which I was frowned upon so much in the circles I've, I've known, the church circles I've known. But it helps me, breathing exercises, things that sound so simple. But I don't want to say, if someone had told me about this earlier on, I would have thought that they don't understand how bad the pain can get. So I don't think it's just those things that I've been trying to do, those habits I'm trying to adopt. I think it's a convergence of everything. I reached my end Um my very very end i I found a therapist that su- that was willing to support me. I was now confident in my community of friends, you guys who have never given up on me i I had seen death a lot, and so I told myself I will either live and really live or die. So I was more energetic. I think because I can't say it's one thing. I'm not able to know which one of them played the biggest role. Um, and then I'm. I suspect that there's also there's also an age factor. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I suspect that there's also an age factor where. Though I'm not sure because it felt as bad recently as it did when i was in when i was 14 i don't know whether age plays a role and so my 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 one of the things that keep me going now is the idea that staying alive may mean that i can contribute somehow to the body of uh, to the mental health body of knowledge somehow, because I have the experience and and whatever I need to learn, I can go to school for, I can participate in research. I can. There's something I can do for the sake of somebody else, because I know for sure there's a lot we don't know. But there are some things we know, and there are people who are working tirelessly to find some of the solutions, um, Um, you know to alcoholism and depression and you know so I think that's the one thing that now keeps me going that somehow I can help somehow this can be something that works out for good you know not just for me but for other people because because of what I've been through um, I connect a lot to people who have similar experiences and they're not hard to find i know you are saying it's not easy to identify it's not easy to know them but somehow they're also i find that they're also not very hard to find the, the clues are subtle but they're always there i think i, think I remember in a different conversation yeah mm-hmm. you that hot mm-hmm. depression you can spot all of these things and my love with it yeah no it's so it, maybe for me it would be hard to, to identify. Okay. Yeah. Someone who's gone through it. Yeah. You would see it, and it's easier for you to. I because I remember you telling me that. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I, I, you know, one of the things I say is you learn to give people what they ask for. So if somebody says, June, how are you doing? I know the person who wants, I feel like I know. (laughs) I know when the answer needs to be, I'm good. I'm all right. Life is good. And then i know when the answer needs to be in fact (laughs) i'm not fine and usually you learn how to how to manage um and it's not many people that will stick around to here so like now when i've been getting better i am more available to 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 connect with people who are suffering you know In the middle of last year, I was talking to one of my friends, someone who people talk to, people don't know that they're suffering. I mean, they're funny, they're nice, they're cool people bringing up their children. And she was telling me. How she has tried to end her own life in the recent past and she's struggling and she's so sometimes I think even just people knowing what I've been through helps them. So me queuing them by talking about how I have struggled, then it's, you know, someone will come on the side and say, um, in fact, it's bad for me. But so I'm, I'm also learning that balance, because for me, when I listen to a story like that, it's it's even it can even be a trigger because it's not just because I get it. You know, I get it. The circumstances may be different, but that darkness is very familiar. So learning the balance, but and also learning where how many I mean, I can't it's hard to connect with like 10 people going through that. Because for me, I will go all the way in. So learning when it's time for me to uh, work with other people, which is why I'm happy I found a therapist like the one I have, where it's time for me to say, maybe let me ta- let me send you to somebody who who can help you more than I can. Um, but yeah, I don't think that. Um, I don't think that I will be able to find meaning in life uh, that does not involve turning that experience into something positive for myself and for other people.
0: So, um, now, what's your relationship with
1: mm-hmm. death? Um, with, with death? Yes. Oh. oh. uh and um, your your granny passed on mm. a year ago. Yeah. What was that for you? And uh, were you ready for for it? And did it trigger an episode? What? How did you approach that? And before and after. Um. When she died, I refused to go for the funeral. Up until the last minute, I had refused to go because I was uh, I f- I was feeling like I'm not out of the woods. And um, she died. It was a very painful experience leading up to her death. I didn't even go to see her when she was sick before death. I didn't think I could deal. So when she died, at the very last, on the I think on the... Maybe two days before the burial, I decided I'll just go, but I won't, um, I'll try to distance myself. I don't know how. I'll just go and hang out with family. Then you distance yourself
0: and then you went and read the eulogy.
1: Yes, yes. I wrote it and read it. <laughs> but you know what helped was that it was in Kikuyu I had never read Kikuyu in front of people so my mind was so engaged my heart my heart had no room there my mind was so engaged I was (laughs) I was so conscious about messing up but then when I saw uh, even before I read it when I saw the casket it's so interesting that I thought I was generally I, I didn't think I was doing so badly until I saw it. Yeah. And then I I I envied her. Mm-hmm. I envied her. I envied her. I started crying, but I wasn't even crying for her. I was crying because of myself because I started for a minute there, I forgot I forgot that I had decided to leave. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I envied her I, and then I started asking myself so why were we fighting so hard to keep her alive this may have been what she needed in fact this may be what I need it was such an odd feeling thankfully like I said I was busy I was doing I was busy doing you know running logistics and stuff taking photos and and all that so I didn't give that much thought but I remember my heart just sank um because of how much <laughs> how much I I I was having um a a discussion with myself that was baffling even me trying to wonder why exactly did I choose to leave and it wasn't even out of sadness really at that point it was uh, like, I was trying to have a logical conversation with myself of why did I shift from that, that to, because that seems better. Why am I here and not there? Anyway, so um, I for her, I didn't feel very sad for her because she was in a lot of pain and they had already begun to see, because the diagnosis process was not over by the time she died, but they had already begun to allude to the fact that it looked like the it had the cancer had recurred and it was in her in her I think in her brain, in her lungs, in her it was it was going to be brutal if she lived through it. So I was sort of grateful that she didn't have to go through too much pain. By the time she died, she was already on so much morphine to manage the pain. Um she died four weeks after she started showing symptoms. So I was happy that she and she was eighty at that point, so I was happy that she had lived her life and she didn't need to go through more chemotherapy and cancer treatment. Yeah, so so for me, it just made me think again about, about how am I choosing to live if it's so easy for me to go back to wanting to die. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. Does that answer your question? What was your question? <laughs> yeah, that, that was last year. Yes. But, uh, and then also, I think because of of the therapy and a lot of of truth have started
0: taking roots in you. Mm. But mm. like we don't, I I don't think you and I want this to to be. No, you know, a complete like
1: pretty balls and flowers. At the no, no. We're not there yet. Yeah. We are not there, yet. <laughs> we are not there yet. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. We are saying that
0: this journey that has taken 15 years, mum is still not well. Yes, You're, you're now regaining. You,
1: you're doing your publishing work. You, mm. There are lots of other life
0: life life
1: decisions that you're making
0: but mm-hmm. i i remember you saying um uh, that now for the very first time in your life i think you said this even before mm-hmm.
1: that the darkness has lifted mm-hmm. and you're able to say that i am having a bad day and so mm-hmm. no, i am not mm-hmm. fixed. yes what has that been yes. for you that's one of those things I I can only hope that at least one person listening will understand it because yeah. it's one of those things that's hard for me to explain yeah. and yet is one of the most powerful things that have happened to me.
0: Yeah.
1: the The awareness that you wake up in the morning, you breathe in and it's not there. you get out of, you know, for a long time, I used to wonder, I used to like, um, I mean, I like listening to people's stories. I like sitting down with people and listening to them. And also, I used to listen for how do you manage to wake up in the morning and just live life, the mundaneness of life without without depression without just i woke up i brushed my teeth i washed i showered i i took t- breakfast i went to work just like that without the heaviness that has be- had become a norm for me you know those are the things i'd look out for so i'd listen to stories w- looking for that like how, what kind of a life is that? So you say, I'm going through a difficult thing and then, but, but life keeps on moving because I always used to feel like the labor of waking up, um, reminding yourself to live and not die, uh, or sometimes not just giving up. The labor was so much, I I didn't. I kept telling myself that this doesn't sound like how most people live. I don't think that, or you know, you just hope maybe that you'll find hope in listening to other people. And um, now I, (laughs) like I said, I don't know any one thing. I mean, we'll continue investigating. I'm not sure whether there's one thing that really helped me. It feels like it's a confluence of all these things, but. But yeah, I I wake up and I don't have that. I wake up, I decide to, to, to I don't know, send out an email. It's not a it's not a background conversation for me anymore. To um, me be honest, one email. No. <laughs> yes a ton a series of emails and phone calls and messages (laughs) yeah organize our life oh my gosh (laughs) yeah but just all I'll I'll be working on this creative thing before I'd be so worried because I mean I, I do all these things and I get in the zone and sometimes I lose sleep like I'll be going for 48 hours with very little sleep just because I'm working on something and before I'd be worried that once they're done, if I don't sleep, then I'll crash. Mm. Now I do that, I get in the zone, I'm I'm done. And then I go to bed, I wake up and I'm fine. That is so, or I was trying to explain this to somebody and saying, I've never been able to say to isolate my feelings because it's been so painful. You're not able to say that this here is frustration because somebody did not do what they said they would do and so you're frustrated or upset. This here is stress because you have not slept very well. That kind of isolation, it feels like such freedom for me because for me it was always pain and I could see it coming. It's like you sit down, you you curl into this fetal position and you just wait for it to hit you because if it's coming, it's coming. And then you hope that by the time it's gone, you will have enough left standing to put together a normal-ish life. Mm-hmm. So that has always been how I've looked at it. Now, I, I, I feel like I'm able to say, I'm able to isolate those feelings because none is, is, um, is overpowering. You see, because the other one was so overpowering, it just would color everything else, and it would, you know, yeah. So now I, I just—it's so cool that I can be able to say, but no, what I'm feeling is that I'm upset, and once I'm once the situation is dealt with, then I'll be fine. That's it. Um, and again, it's not been—it's not
0: as a result of a quick fix. It's—it's it's been it's been a result of many, you called it what in your alliance, English? (laughs) Confluence. A confluence or a
1: convergence of many factors, I think. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, what, so in the 15 years or Mm -hmm. or 15, even we'd say 20 years Mm -hmm. of your journey with mental health, Mm -hmm. I want to ask two questions, and they are related. Mm -hmm. What what do you wish people close to you would have Mm -hmm. known about mental health and how to help you? And then, what do you you wish the church would have known about mental health and how to help you? Mm -hmm. And I remember you (laughs) you Mm -hmm. saying how you... Uh you so many demons have been cast out from you because yes. you know, it was about demons and everything. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um wow. I guess that is the pertinent question at the end of the day. Yeah. If you're going to help other people. Um first my biggest issue <laughs> has been that I wish I had been believed. I wish it wasn't, um, I wish I hadn't had to work so hard to get people's attention. I feel like people summarized my life. Um, you, you're good academically, you performed really well. I feel like that has made me very extreme in the way I handles, handle people's stories. Even if it's a child, when they are constantly looking sad or saying they're sad or something is wrong, don't downplay it because I felt, even when I went to the therapist, they said, the one of the first things they said is it would be so hard to believe me, just looking at me. First, I don't look it. I'm not crying. I'm not, I mean, I cry in the closet. I probably will not cry when I'm telling you, um, but I felt like many times when I said "I'm not okay," it was it was downplayed. And when I said um, um I felt like the only time I got people's attention, though it wasn't deliberate, were, were when I looked the part. You know, like when now I was found somewhere behind, I was alone. And then people came and found me crying, saying, I'm going to, I'm going to die. I want to die. Please let me die. That is when people get uh, mad. I have people's attention, you know, but when I, I, you know, I'm looking all, you know, corporate in a suit and I come to you and I tell you I'm not doing well. I really wish that would be enough for somebody to say, please tell me about it. What can we do? Can we like take that a bit more seriously than we normally do? Um, and I can understand that sometimes mm-hmm. some of these terms we have overused, oh my God, I want to die. You should see what my boss asked me to do. Yeah. So it becomes watered when you say such things. Um but I felt like I had to work so hard to get people's attention, even my own folks, to be honest. It took a lot for them to think um, this may be something serious. Um, and you know what's interesting? Like when I worked, part of what I did during school as my internship, I worked at a psychiatric clinic in one of the major hospitals in nairobi and i wasn't doing well and i remember because at that point i was feeling a bit more independent i had tried therapy it wasn't working for me in fact that therapist just thought just thought i'm a a, what do they call them i'm a frustrated high achiever because they thought with you have everything where you it was a horrible experience with that therapist so They really downplayed my problem and and were quick to dismiss me which is very unprofessional especially for someone like that who is a lecturer psychology lecturer but it's because my problem didn't sound like i didn't have big problems to present to her my only problem was then why is it that i'm so suicidal anyway so at the clinic which is one of the facilities that somebody should go to, if they're feeling like that, one of the doctors there, I told them, I told them, I'm not feeling well, um, I'm struggling. Um, and they, they tried to advise me a bit. I still didn't feel like they took me seriously. And you know what? I even got them to sign for me blank prescription sheets. Oh, wow. okay. yes. And so from then on, I used to get, I got a stack of them. I used to get, um, sleeping pills, mm-hmm. sleeping pills to help me sleep. Cause I was thinking that maybe that's why I'm feeling so bad. And then, and then on one of those days that I was feeling so bad, I overdosed on them. Luckily they were not enough to take me out, but they were enough to knock me out for a good while. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, so things like those. You wonder in a setting like that, I said I wasn't feeling okay. I asked you to sign for me blank prescription sheets. What are the prompts? What the clue would someone need to think? Maybe there's an issue here. Maybe there's an issue here, what can I do? And that was in in a hospital setting, that was a medical doctor. So,, um, so that also goes to say it's very easy to um, to it's, it's sometimes it's not as hard to spot, but it's work. Because if you find someone who has an issue like that and you think you want to help, it may take more than some of us are willing to give, which is understandable because it's a lot of work. I mean, like if you find an alcoholic, it takes a lot for you to walk the journey with an alcoholic. However, there are people who have dedicated their lives to helping such people. So you can at the very least guide them in that direction. You know? Um, yeah, so so that is the one thing. I feel like if, if there had been people listening to me, um, Um, when I tried to talk, it wasn't often, many times I kept things to myself, but once in a while I talked. If people had listened, I feel like it would have made the journey a little easier. I feel like I would have, the doctor who first diagnosed me said, um, said he was so empathetic. He said, you know, June, I think your life would have been a whole lot easier if someone had spotted this when you were in high school. Anyway, yeah. So, so it was. It's it's named something for you that yeah that was strange and in high school yeah the first like that being seen yeah is important yeah and he was a very experienced doctor a very well known doctor in Eldoret so that was good for me to hear um. So, I mean, I didn't have the money to continue seeing him, but he prescribed the drugs and I also just needed that affirmation. So And you see what I used to do, because I'd never told, I, I felt like now I needed to take care of myself, so I would raise money from my pocket money to go and see um, him, the psychiatrist, or to go and see therapists. So that wasn't a lot of money. Yeah, so... Um, So I wish that that had been the case. And I feel like as far as the church is concerned, Mm -hmm. I really feel, (laughs) I don't know whether I'm completely healed, but now when I think about it, I think I blamed, I shouldn't have been so angry with them. Or maybe I should have, but I, I should now understand that a lot of people who I interacted with didn't know better that is the doctrine they have been taught mm. of mm. all these mental things, take them to Jesus. In fact, the one that used to frustrate me the most is that I have the mind of Christ. Mm. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so <laughs> mm. it doesn't feel like it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> or how messed
0: up is this mind of Christ? Right, like I'll
1: trade it for another one. <laughs> So yeah. I used to find that so frustrating because I have the mind of Christ. The um, I I didn't even know how to think of that because yeah. I always felt like my mind is my greatest enemy. Yeah. <laughs> so I I so that's the thing. I don't think that it's out of wanting to put me down. It's just mm-hmm. that it's very complicated. Um, it's very difficult to explain depression when when you have been taught christianity in certain ways mm. when you have been taught that um what is this the the that is it psalm 150 that says rejoice in the lord always and again is that is that it or is that in the new testament i'm not sure but there's but you know rejoice in the lord always and again i say I'm rejoice when it's those verses that you're, and I know all of them have grown up in the church and stuff. So, but then it doesn't make, it doesn't seem to apply to my situation. Yeah. Uh, so the experience of going to church began to be very painful for me mm-hmm. because I would always feel like I'm not connecting with the God they're preaching. I want, I want that experience, but I'm not connecting with God in that way. God feels like, like pain, like holding the Bible and talking about God feels like pain because he knows if it's true that he knows I'm where I am, then why does he allow me to be where I am? And if it's true, in fact, my prayer became for a long time, if it's true that I'm weak, then it's fine. I'm weak, but isn't God, the God of the weak, isn't God, isn't God the one who that parable where God is uh, the shepherd and then one of the lambs breaks a leg mm-hmm. I'm tied then supposed to be the one on God's shoulder if then I am this week you yeah. know when everybody else is walking so I don't think it's out of malice that I was shut down because I do feel like I was shut down like when now I talk to someone who is a leader and instead of responding to me or as their way of responding to me they invite what are those people called the people who cast out demons is there like (laughs) (laughs) there was a ministry like that they called them yeah they called them i mean without mentioning no this was a mainstream church this was it's just that I can't say the name but it was like a big church a mainstream church in Nairobi then they had a ministry in there where they'd pray for people who were uh, who are oppressed and I don't know possessed and then now when they prayed for me nothing came out so I thought either they're very stubborn the ones in me or there's nothing because <laughs> I saw people wailing as they were being prayed for wailing getting slain nothing came you out couldn't have faked wailing oh fake a wail <laughs> <laughs> yeah nothing came out so I left there very disappointed because I was really hoping that something will come out then I'll have a name for it yeah yeah so as far as the church is concerned i feel like the admission Mm -hmm. that first in this season i'm beginning to see we need to first of all talk about the science because we have accepted the science in in um when someone falls sick when you have a broken arm we have accepted Mm -hmm. the science but we bash the science around mental health Mm -hmm and i don't and i feel like the first thing the thing i'm doing now is looking at the science what helps what 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 works because it's clear that there's something here that we don't understand and it's understandable because the brain is an organ The brain is an organ. Um, It is not possible that every other part of your body can be unwell, can get sick except the brain. And in a way that, because most of us now don't pray away physical illnesses. We go to the doctor while we pray. So I feel like I'm feeling, I'm getting, that is one of the factors that are converging now, is that now I am more open to, to welcoming, to listening to the scientists about what this could be, and about what the options are, you know. While I pray, yeah, yeah. Wow, the depth, yeah. the depth. They are ring, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm introducing myself to you. Hi, my name is. Right, but here we are. Here we are. Yeah.
0: So, um, mm-hmm. uh, how I feel like I don't know. I feel like we are wrapping up our conversation. Mm-hmm. So, um, as we are nearing the
1: end, mm-hmm. for people who have this sadness, I think maybe mm-hmm. for the let's concentrate on the people going through the sadness, the mm-hmm. depression, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So What would you say to them? Oh my God, after I'm done crying for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How, what would have helped me? Um, I think, uh, I don't know what, I'm wondering what would have helped me to hear. Um, I think the one I guess several things. I think one is that that pain is not imagined. Mm -hmm. People may not identify with it, but you are not imagining it. Um, And for me, that was very difficult to believe because I thought it's just that I'm going crazy. Um, It was very difficult for me to believe that. and I think the way I'm struggling to speak is because you would want every person to know that, that there are people who are willing to stand with them. Yeah. And I find that that is a very difficult thing to communicate because... I struggled to find, to believe it. In mm-hmm. fact, it's not that I've not had people around me, people who cared. Granted, they may not have known what to help, how to help me, but I have had people who consistently were around me, but I absolutely kept them away from the pain. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was protecting them from the pain. And then along the way, I have now realized that that there are people who will stand with you and not give up on you. But mm-hmm. you see, I hesitate because some of, for some of us, the pain is that people have walked away from us and people who we counted on did not stand with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also struggle to say God, because in my experience, there are many days I walked mm-hmm. in darkness, sure that God left me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just... I don't know. I would just say that if you feel like there's any chance. Okay, so I guess one category of people. If you feel that there's any chance uh, or any one thing that you think um, is, can be a reason to live, then focus on that one. If there's any one thing, and for me at one point, it was just like, it was just that I wanted to create things. I had given up on everything. I was ready to die. But I thought if I do this one thing, it brings light to my life a little bit, Mm -hmm. but I'll focus on that one before. And I don't even know whether I'll be able to figure anything out. Mm So if there's that one thing and now I've learned like when I feel when I start feeling like I'm losing my balance and I'm still learning. I don't know whether this is I don't know how the journey will unfold as I go ahead. But I've learned. I keep telling myself the alternative was that you are going to die. So anything else is better than death. If it means it means um quit everything you're doing and go do the one thing that you think will give you even a little glimmer of hope. Remember the alternative was death. It can't be so bad if it involves life, you know? Um, Yeah, but the other thing that I think has been very helpful and I, I, I think it would have been nice to do it i think it i would have been if i had someone around me who had that understanding and they had done for that for me i think it would have been a bit helpful is there are conversations i mean i listen to podcasts a lot and so stories of people who have been through similar experiences i started playing them back to back back to back i listened to this one was in this situation and i found certain channels that do have such conversations. I listen to them, I walk with them through the journey, I walk with them and then I see, oh my goodness, and then they came out. And not the necessarily the rags to riches ones, yeah. even people who are still in the process. I listen to them, I walk with them and then they come to the end. I listen to them, I listen to them. So I listen to them until I feel like that began to reprogram my mind mm-hmm. so that when I'm feeling depressed, I quickly go back to these people. One particular one I saw, I don't remember her name. I keep forgetting her name. But it's a lady who was depressed for many years. She was, She's British. And at the age of 54, she was depressed. She was suicidal, all those things. And then she also, what I'm explaining, she decided, let me, I think it was on her birthday or something. She decided to do something crazy. And she was doing it for for some cause. I don't remember the exact details of the story, but she decided to um jump off a plane. Is that bungee jumping? Is that it? Jumping off a or skydiving. Skydiving <laughs> <laughs> skydiving. So she decided to skydive and that story gave me so much hope. First, I saw she was 54. She had suffered for so long. And you know what she said when she started her process, her mental process of improving how she was feeling on the inside, her internal environment, she told herself, she's going to think of something nice for five minutes every day. Not Mm -hmm. all the time, just five minutes. And so for her, it would just be something like she liked, I think, watching the sunset or something so she'd watch that or she'd think about it and then go on with her darkness and her depression mm-hmm. so those little those few minutes every day began to reprogram her mind so that now that kind of joy was beginning to feel familiar because like for me i am even now i'm aware that i am more familiar with sadness than happiness so my default is to be to go back to that but when i started to do that and listening to those podcasts it's like now when i feel sad my mind is triggered to remember the journeys of those people mm-hmm. and that has helped me yeah that has begun to help me and i think the same and it's a biblical principle about faith comes by hearing So you don't even have to believe it when you hear it. But for me, it just helps because over time, I start to see possibilities, you know, when I listen to people who are stuck and stuck for many years, and then they find a way out.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything that... (laughs) you wanted to mention and thank you for saying yes to this uh, conversation. Um, Yeah, I struggled a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I really appreciate your vulnerability and and the strength as well to share your story, which is Mm. quite personal. Mm. And... uh, and doing it so beautifully and so formally so asante so is thank you any- for having me so mm. is there anything um, that you would have wanted to say that has not been said
1: i feel one thing that i have been thinking about is how if we committed ourselves to be friends for the long haul, like you embrace the call of friendship, I think it's a call. I think we would be well on our way to helping each other cope. Because many of us may not have 15-year spells of depression, but you have those two weeks where you just want to die. It may not be literal, but you just, you know, I'm so stressed, I'm so depressed that's, you know, most people have a few of those in their lives where you really feel like you could, like things are not working out. And I have become um, quite a believer um, in the fact that friends can be the ones that, friends can offer more support than even therapy. You know, if we were more open to, like, how many friendships do we have where when you meet, you just, hi, hi, how are you doing? Um, oh, you're looking good. Where would you get your outfit from? <laughs> Surface friendships, which is all great, but friendships to where you can completely be vulnerable, and that takes work. So for most of us, we live our lives, it feels as though we live our lives assuming that that experience will happen when you're married or something because that's going to be the closest relationship you have but I feel like we should invest in friendships single or married such that um, vulnerability it's very deliberate it's not you know just by chance that Mm -hmm. you hook up and you party and you enjoy that you're very deliberate about every month or every few months you meet and talk about mental wellness in fact my feeling is that if you really sat with somebody who is your friend and ask them those questions most people will be open to talking about it but it takes time it takes patience it takes being deliberate you know And that way, then you're better placed to support when something is off. You're better placed to support because it's a lot of work walking through the mental health journey with somebody. But everybody can have a friend. We may not all be able to see therapists. We may not all be able to spot the problems of everybody else, but everybody can have a person, Mm. you know, or two, or you can be like a, a, a a. an intimate group but that would a yes a kind like a small network of persons where um you are very deliberate because that's the challenge i see people will hang out and be buddies you know it's my best friend talk about boys talk about but you need to be very deliberate about now. Let's talk about how are you doing, how are you processing, how can I help? What kind of um support do you need? And that feeling of I'm not alone can be very powerful for most people. Ah, wow. Yeah. And yeah. thank you. Thank you also for being my friend. Um, oh thank you for being mine. Though I chose you, which is a story yes, for another actually. day. <laughs> actually, I chose was, you. You me as a friend. It was an actual...
0: I pursued like you as my friend. <laughs> uh-huh. me, I want you to be my friend. <laughs> See? ask yeah. me out as a friend. <laughs> Yes, and
1: look here, look where we are now. I know how to pick my friends, man. <laughs> yeah,
0: so thank you, June. And thank you for for sharing your heart. Mm-hmm. And us, man, we've gone for a while. But I cried. Right? Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow.
1: I, I think this was very important. Um mm-hmm. and for
0: for, for us at the I think the goal is really to connect. The reason we've done this, I've done, I've done this conversation, is that when we talk about faith, justice, and advocacy, all of these things are related. And if we don't, and as we've heard from June and her sharing her story, and now
1: as an advocate, or mental health awareness. This, you need to understand
0: the story before you start fighting for it in, in an essence, And so if you put a personal, because the personal is political, and so once you are aware that these things are happening in our communities, with our friends, with our loved ones, then you'll be more sensi- sensitized and more awakened to... To love better and love yeah. holistically, so that when June, when June or I or someone else goes to a hospital and says, "I am having a mental breakdown," that that is accessible because that's a public health issue. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd like to like to wrap up our conversation in that way so thank you for listening this will be a two-part episode to two, part one and part two of this conversation and uh yeah Kwaherini to all of us and as always let's do justice if you've been inspired challenged and or enjoyed this conversation and would like to contribute to this and catch up with more of such Remember to follow us on social media at Trust. Share this podcast with your friends and family. And also consider making a donation to support the production of this podcast. Donations can be made through PayPal, Msingikenya at gmail.com, Patreon at Msingikenya, or through M-Pesa, plus 254-792-176-030. Kwaherini and thank you for joining us.